from mondays.pop.com it's mondays with your host carl franklin this is jeff maciolik in the studio with carl rory blythe kirk webb and karen greenwald announcing show number one with carl's special guest ron rasmussen i may sound like a nerd but well that's because i am a nerd mondays is produced by pop productions providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com And now, the most overlooked dude in Las Vegas, well, at least last week, Carl Franklin! Oh no, it's Mondays, and I'm Carl. And you're listening to the very first Mondays show what Sunday threw up. Uh, I'm Carl here in New London, Connecticut, uh, with a, a cast of nerds, and uh, let me introduce them to you right now. Starting with my friend and my mentor, my colleague, my the 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 peanut butter to my chocolate, Mr. Rory Blythe. How are you, guy? I'm okay. Um, I mean, yeah, all right. Like, well, what do you want? An, I mean, do you want something like more specific? I just wanted to say hello. How are you, man? Okay. How are you, Rory? Fine. I'm Carl. Good. Before we get too much into it, I thought we would take a few moments and just uh, talk to the people about you know what Mondays is all about and how we got here. Because we do have a history. Um, Rory and I have been doing this show for programmers called .NET Rocks. And uh, when we discovered podcasting, uh, our brains sort of took a walk and decided to uh, sort of do what we were doing in .NET Rocks in terms of the funny stuff, but make a show that's not just for programmers. Because one of the problems that we have is we like, you know, we like doing radio. We like doing uh, entertainment and uh, and social commentary and satire and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, we had to do it within the context of a programmer show. And the programmers were like, no, 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 we, we just want content. So we decided to split them off. And the programmers get their interview stuff and we get to have fun. Uh, that's not to say that, um, you know, if you're a programmer, you can't listen to the show. But I wanted to make a show that anybody who can get on the internet and download an MP3 and has a couple of neurons left to fire after a weekend of partying can appreciate. So that's why we're doing this show, Mondays. And uh, we've got uh, a, a cast of regulars here. We've got some bits. We've got some funny stuff. We've got uh, music. If you're into listening to unsigned bands, basically people send us their band information in their pages and we listen to some and, and the ones that we like we'll, we put on the air and exposed to you guys, and, and we, we talk about fun stuff. We also talk about interesting things, not just silly, crazy shit. Uh, for example, this, uh, this show, in this show, we have an interview with Ron Rasmussen, who's a doctor, a surgeon, who got deployed to the Middle East and talks about his experiences there and uh, his commentary on the healthcare system in this country, which is, you know, it's good stuff. 
Um, but before we get into any of the show, first I want to thank you, the listener, for downloading or podcasting, whatever you did, to get this show and listen to it. And I hope that uh, I hope that you can bear with us as we sort of feel our way around the content and, and how it's going to work. I, I know you're going to like it when it finally settles in, and, uh, and there you go. So uh, let me introduce the people involved here. First of all, uh, besides Rory, I have to my left here Mr. Kirk Webb. Hello. Hello. How are you, Kirk? I'm good. I'm actually pretty good. Lame. Yes, yeah, you are lame and crippled. But um, getting better. So you, you're on crutches. You have I'm a bad crutches. foot. I, uh, I what happened my, to Kirk? What happened to Kirk? I what broke my, Kirk? my, uh, my uh, motorcycle, ran into a semi head on, Why? and burst into flames. <laughs> and uh, then ninjas came out and broke my ankle. Uh-huh. <laughs> the ninjas always go straight for the ankle. They do. Yeah. The ruthless and quick lightning fast, man. The lightning. They were the saying ankle. like hut, 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 hut the whole time, and they came after my ankle and broke it. And Was it hut, hut, or was it Kia? Because there's a big difference. No, these these were like ninjas from like Hoboken. Oh, okay. And that other voice is Karen Greenwald, and she's she does the movie reviews here on Mondays, and she's joining us as well. And Kirk does the Weird Wide Web segment we all have come to know and love on .NET Rocks, <laughs> and hopefully you will love too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get right to it with a segment we like to call News Bites. From Mondays.pwop.com, it's News Bites with your host, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin. You're listening to News Bites. A quick synopsis of news for those with nanoscale attention spans. This week in politics, uh, Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat died, of course, at age 75. And for four decades, Arafat was looked up to by the Palestinian people as a symbol of their struggle in the, in the Middle East for a Palestinian state. And his passing prompted President Bush to make this comment. <laughs> I have been working on Middle, Middle Eastern peace ever since I've been the president. I lay down in that rose garden. Uh, a very hopeful uh, and uh, peaceful Palestinian state uh, living. Uh, that's why I articulated a. I meant it when I said it, and I mean it now. Uh, what were the other parts of your question? Strategy. <laughs> okay. Did he just well, say also, me stern? <laughs> I think he did. Also this week, the White House uh, at the White House, Ashcroft out, Gonzalez in. President mm. Bush welcomed his counsel, Alberto Gonzalez, to replace Attorney General John Ashcroft, who resigned this week. Apparently, Ashcroft was mad because George always got more potato salad than he did at White House <laughs> luncheons. But he held a press conference to announce his new cabinet member. Good afternoon. I'm pleased to announce my nomination of Judge Al Gonzalez to be the Attorney General of the United States. Since I never finished elementary school, <laughs> I have counted on Al Gonzalez to help with one of the president's most important responsibilities, corporate fraud. <laughs> he always gives me his bedroom counsel. Bedroom Over count. the past decade, I've also come to know the shift that John Ashcroft has served our country. <laughs> I look forward to welcoming my great friend to the cabinet. Congratulations. Well, anyway, Chief Justice William H. Rehnquist is working from home this week after undergoing treatment for thyroid cancer. Uh, he was he was taken ill last week, which raised questions about the availability of a new seat on the Supreme Court. 
While President Bush is glad to see that he's recovering, apparently Senator Edward Kennedy of Massachusetts doesn't quite know how to react. We all pray for the health of our Chief Justice. But the reality is that he's an asshole. (laughs) You know, he just just doesn't quite know what to think, I think. But a healthy asshole is what he's looking for. Yes. Well, anyway... Ralph Nader is in the news this week. (laughs) Apparently, he's been uh, talking to the press and saying some very odd things. Doctors think that he may be suffering from a post-election depression bordering on psychotic behavior. For example, on Meet the Press earlier this week, host Tim Russert got about halfway through the interview, and out of nowhere, Mr. Nader started to sweat and shake. And in response to a very straightforward question on the economy, he suddenly found himself at a loss for words. Uh, the uh, this is uh, which uh, well Mr. Russert then sensing something was wrong tried to wrap it up asking Nader if he had any calls to action for the American people now that things have gotten back to normal after the election and he had this to say I want everybody to party 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 (laughs) what's the matter that's not funny to you I mean, well, when Mr. Russert I'm not, asked I'm him, not sophisticated enough to, to to totally get all this. I mean, I'm laughing. I think I do think it's funny to answer your question. All but, right, shut um, up. I really do lack the sophistication to fully comprehend everything. When Russert asked him if that was really what he meant to say, Nader replied this. That's what I said. I think a majority of the American people, they want excitement. They want parties. And if they had any brains, they would swing. <laughs> <laughs> It's all about swinging, isn't it? After realizing Mr. Nader was apparently suffering from mental stress, he tried to recover the conversation by asking if he had extended an olive branch to both Senator Kerry and President Bush. Mr. Nader replied with this. John Kerry and George W. Bush play with each other's members in private (laughs) with their tongues thrust into each other's ear. Yeah, at this oh, point, uh, at this point in the interview, Tim Russert started to laugh, and figuring the interview was shot anyway, he started to play along. Following up on a story of Mr. Nader's recent Viagra episode, Russert asked him if he was having problems with impotence, and without missing a beat, Nader replied this. It is hard as a rock, and growing, and I touch and play with my members, and the feeling of the ooze and the pus is <laughs> disgraceful. Uh, the camera the camera cut back (laughs) (laughs) now Rory's laughing well now it's down to my level yeah oozing putts and any kind of masturbatory reference he's laughing all over the place member he said member the the camera cut back quickly to Russert's empty chair he was apparently on the floor turning blue and then they cut back to Nader who was still talking into the camera with that serious dour look on his face that he's known for. And of course we have graphic and explicit pornography on our website with 10 of our staff dressed up in white waiter coats. And it is going to uh, stimulate the people to thrust <laughs> their big members forward and upward. Well, <laughs> and without further, and and without wow. further prompting, he went on with this. We know it's wrong. We know it leads to bizarre results, but it's fun. And we should plunge massive tools up the ass of the Democratic Party. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's great. At this point, the producer <laughs> ran over to the camera to turn it off, but just before they did, Nader got in this last punch. We also uh, are going to engage in sex in public places like Walmart and McDonald's <laughs> in over 20 positions, including 69. Mr. Nader checked into St. Francis Hospital on Thursday and said to be resting, and that's what happened this week in politics. Hey, Carl, this is Active Nick, wishing you the best of luck with Mondays. Well, anyway, uh, we spent the week... <laughs> was that a celebrity spot? Yeah, that was just a little good wishes. We, we spent the week in uh, Las Vegas, or at least I did, yeah. and what a week it was, man. Rory was there for a couple of days of it, and... Uh, Active Nick, who we just heard from, Nick Landry, was there speaking at the same developer conference that I was at. And uh, we go out to Caesar's Palace because Nick wanted to, uh, well, he wanted to get laid, right? I mean, he basically wanted to score. Well, Vegas is not the place for that. No, no. I don't want to be in Vegas getting a little. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, I've heard that. We love Vegas. Anyway, so we go out to Caesar's Palace, and the Arts and Entertainment Network network is there, A&E. And we have our Monday shirts on, and they wonder what we're doing, and and we tell them that Nick is pursuing, you know, a little anti-loneliness therapy. And, (laughs) yeah, and um, they asked if they could film the whole process. Is that right? Yeah, and, and Rory. Rory ended up, like, getting involved in it. I mean, I'm an old married man. I, I feel can't. sorry for the girl. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You want to elaborate on that? <laughs> no. Don't don't feel Christ. like you need to say. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I love Nick and everything, but you know, I was just kind of watching the situation, and 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 I thought, you know, what she wants is not like some tall, masculine, um, you know, guy with like a kind of curious, appealing, sexual accent, you know, from some foreign land. What she wants is. Like a, a five foot seven sort of pale and gnomish um, man to come over and sweep her off her feet. So I thought I'd just step in and, and see what I could do. And um, she actually wound up. Uh, well, I actually shouldn't say. I really should. Yeah, we're, we're not going to say the, what uh, happened. Mm-hmm. Actually, you're going to have to watch uh, Caesars, the series on Arts and Entertainment Network later on in 2005. But needless to say, we got in a plug for Mondays and we had some fun. And and uh, well, that's all I'm going to say. We did blog about it though at. Uh, Weblogs.asp.net slash C Franklin. In fact, we'll put a link on our show uh, on the Monday's page to the to the picture of us all standing around with it. We got a good picture with the cast and crew, uh, the A and E crew, and uh, and us in our dumb shirts and Rory with rabbit well, ears. I, I didn't have a shirt, but you guys had your dumb shirts. Well, it was you did have shirt. In fact, you had more shirts. Well, I did. Than any I did have a shirt, but, the but you used like the the thirty eight cent iron on. Right. And so when I sent it down to the the wash service to have it you know, washed in hot water and shrunken so that it would actually fit on my body. Because remember, remember, I told you, you know, when we were talking on the phone, you were like, oh, what size shirt do you want? And I said, adolescent girl yeah, size small. And you got an adolescent it. boy size small. And the thing was fucking gigantic. Uh, so I had to send it down to have it shrunk by the laundry service. And when it came back, the entire Monday's label had been completely torn up and shredded. You know, it was like they had yeah. run over it with a dump truck. But they, they, I did ask for it to be done express. And, and yeah. they had express written all over the thing. You know, oh, like they were very did, proud of the it. Fact. Came back express, it, co- it cost but it me like, like it cost me like ten bucks to have that shirt destroyed. I'll have you know that. <laughs> it's a t-shirt. Yeah, they were t-shirts. I got those, uh, you know, iron-ons that you print on your computer, and of course, they just didn't look good after being washed. In fact, it was all just destroyed, as Rory said. 
But uh, one of the things I got to do while we were there is drive around with Mark Miller. Now, if you don't know who Mark Miller is, you probably don't because he's just a a nerd who has a software company and he writes uh, writes really good software for programmers, for developers. But he's one of these guys who's just like his – he has no filter between his brain and his mouth. Uh, so I drove around with Mark and, and uh, talking about Las Vegas and hookers of all things. And he, huh. this is what, he had, to, this is what he had to say. Check this out. And no hookers in Vegas, right? This is Mark and I driving in the car. Nevada but not in Vegas? Something like that. I don't know. No, I don't even think it's in Nevada. You're not an expert it's... on hookers? No, but I have heard this. There's I'm, well, wait. No, I, 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 I am not an expert on hookers, but I have heard. You know, I that... could splice your response right there and make you say something. Well, you're really... not recording though now, are oh, you? No, no, I'm okay, not recording. All right. As far as I know, you're not, you're not recording. So, um, no, it's it, it, you are prompting me, aren't you? You're trying to get me to say no. all the words you need me to say. And you're like, I can just see you with the Ralph Nader interview. You're like, you're like, could you just say boner for me, please? No, no context. Don't worry. Just say boner. Wait, 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 wait! I have a question for you. You know, you know your muscles—they'd be all floppy if you didn't have. What is that called inside? What's that thing, Mr. Nader? It's like femur. No, no, that's not it. Come on, tibula. No, no, no. What is that thing called? You know, archaeologists—they dig for them fossils. No, say boner. Come on, Mr. Nader. So, anyway, you're trying to get me to say hooker, but I'm not going to say it. So no, you're not going to say. So I'm not going to say. I'm not, so anyway, you're like, you know when you go fishing, what's that thing you stick on the end of the line? Turn and stay like so, um, so anyway, no, there's, I'm pretty sure the way it works is that it's, because I've, I've, because people, because you'd make that joke, yeah. and it's like people say, oh, no, 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 hookers are illegal in Vegas. Yeah, but But deal. I Come think, on. and I, I think it's, it's. technicality, right? No, I think it's, it's either a county or it's a city have the freedom to legalize it or not. Oh. Is what I understand, and so like there's this place where there's this um, uh, cat house, you know, this this brothel, yeah, and it's in some county or some place that's like I my guess is obviously well I wouldn't say driving distance, but like a half hour driving distance or less away yeah. from here. Okay, that's my understanding, but I don't know where it is, and uh, and I don't know if everything I've told you is true, but I oh, think it's pretty right. pretty close. All right, but but hookers legal in Nevada generally prostitution is legal. I guess so. I guess yeah. it must be because it's or, or or at the very least it's 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 up to the person to do it. Yeah. There's some place where it is legal here to do that. But the thing is, it's, in Vegas. Yeah, but Michelle was saying this yesterday, yeah. where uh, uh, they were escorts until they enter the room, then they become hookers, and that I think is oh. probably the 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 you know, in other words, the hush so hush. So it's a fine line, really. They, right. You have to get caught in the act in order for. I guess so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so see, I wonder if there's like a hooker squad, you know, the Las Vegas Police Department. The, 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 the hooker the, squad, like they go and pretend that they're yeah, no. paying for hookers and then they go and you busted, babe. Yeah, no. Well, I actually want that. I would, if I could figure out a way to get a cop coming in, pretend to be a hooker, and didn't know that I knew that she was a cop, I would so love that. Because I would be like, she'd be like, what do you want? And I go, what do you want to give me? <laughs> she goes, what do you want to pay? I go, what do you want to take? You know? I'd be, just, I'd be going, she would, I would just be going, I would just be just, you know, extending this thing out. And all the cops that were listening would go, fuck, why do you want to take it? He's been talking to her for three hours, man. Fuck, fuck, fuck. You know, he's not saying we can't get him. And I'd just be like, you know. Well, what do you want to see? What do you want to show me? You know? Just going out like, well, I got to go. Okay, fine. You know? It's so funny. It'll be so funny. It'll be fun. This is Kathleen Dollard. Good luck on Mondays. Hey, Carl. This is Marcus Egger, and I wish you the best of luck with Mondays. And so now it's time to get a bowl of popcorn and settle down and listen to Karen Greenwald as she reviews a movie 
of the week. Uh, what you got for us? This Karen, you got a, a movie review for us? I do. Can you tell us what it's all about? Yes, it's about the movie I saw a couple of hours ago. <laughs> you used to do this for a living, though. Really right? put it together. Review movies on the yeah. radio. I did. Yeah, I cool. did. I was. It was called Down in Front, a show out of Boston, and then I was on. I was girl on film. Cool. Graphic. So, wow. yeah, I used to do that, but um, I didn't really get a chance to go see a movie. So, I latest DVD release. Of, well, that count. That counts. Yeah, exactly. It was out on Tuesday. Stepford Wives. The new Stepford Wives. So, does it is it good? Does it suck? We can pretty much wrap it up right there, you know. It pretty much. Well, the first one was really good, nineteen seventy five. Okay. <laughs> and the second one, not so good. So, what do you have to say about it? Well, I think it's a kind of wasted cast. It was my the basically? I think you know you've got Christopher Walken, you've mm-hmm. got Glenn Close, you've got Nicole Kidman, you've got Faith Hill. For some yeah. reason, um, Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick, who I have to say really touched me. Not since Inspector Gadget have I ever been <laughs> yeah. so moved in my heart and my mm. mind mm. than yeah. that beautiful performance by Matthew Broderick. But yeah, I mean, basically that's it. I have my little, I have my notes that I actually wrote while making dinner. The thing is that the whole movie appeals to me, right? Because it's about Connecticut suburban housewives, and I am mm-hmm. a Connecticut suburban housewife, really, okay. in all actuality. So it has some certain um, appeal for me. And and even I, – I actually live in Carl's neighborhood. Right. I do. We're neighbors. And, yep. you know, it's like a neighborhood that has things like block parties and Friday lunches. And my sisters – actually, my urban bitter sisters refer to our neighborhood as Stepford. Okay. So it had particular appeal to me. Um but really, it's just because they're bitter and they think block parties are a little ridiculous and Friday lunches. But, you know, yeah. it has this – they have this sort of um, – if anyone has a life different from theirs, they can't possibly be happy. So right. we want women <laughs> – perfect women to go down. Basically, that's the, <laughs> the bottom line of the Stepford Wives and that's the only thing it accomplishes is perfect women must go down. Whether it's put them in jail <laughs> like Martha, whether it's discover their robots or whether it's like the whole Desperate Housewives things. We okay. want them – we want them gone. Um, <laughs> but the best part, if you do rent this on DVD, as it came out, the best part is Frank Oz in the interview mm-hmm. as he, you know, the, the additional commentary by Frank Oz because he's sort of like, well, um, it was it was really much funnier um, in my original cut. And I swear, <laughs> if you guys could just see it the way that I saw it, it would be like so funny. And the square dancing scene, that was that was really good before I had to cut it. Oh. And, um, and he actually says, um, he actually refers to Bette Midler's role in the thing. And he's like, she was the comic relief. And I'm thinking, <laughs> does it? A successful comedy really need a comic relief. Yeah, Isn't really? that was supposed to be a little redundant? <laughs> but yeah, well, so which begs the question: Was this supposed to be a comedy or a horror film? Right. And the fact is that it tries to be both, but it ends up degrading both genres completely. <laughs> and it it tries to drag drama down with it too, which is just really it was really sad. Kidman, because Nicole Kidman, she makes whenever there's a choice to be funny, she makes the dramatic choice, and mm. um, it, it's just. So they, it was, sounds like they didn't quite know what to do. Exactly. They didn't quite know what to make out of it. They didn't know what to make out of it, and it should have been better. And any time that it gets on its comic groove and it's really good, it's yeah. like, ah, 
relationship discussion. Uh. Blah, blah, blah. Prioritize your family. Blah, blah. It's, it, Dr. Phil has no place in what should be like a film, a, a, a campy, consistent film about iconized images and, and cute little gender gap foibles. And it was just, it was, it was painful every time they got into their relationship, Jack. Yikes. But it, anyway, it's at its best. The movie does do these little like, um, Will and Grace sitcom references where they mm-hmm. like rag on um, reality TV mm-hmm. and game shows and the the TV phenomenon and this bothers me on so many levels but it's actually true and they they made note of it in the movie the whole like perfect woman with a slovenly nerd yeah. like you know um, yeah. life according to Jim <clears throat> and still standing and. <laughs> the center of the universe and all of those I, I it, it totally annoys me i mean may, i don't know maybe it's more appealing to other people but I, I it exists and they make fun of it but that kind of sort of timely recent comment on media is really more for the small screen and i don't think yeah. it works on a big screen hmm. but uh, and the other good thing about the movie of course is that it's a step it's stepford and it's yeah. an adjective right so right. you can stepfordize things right and and the be- <laughs> the best part of the whole the whole movie is that actually it it comes up there's some really good parts the first 20 minutes are really good and then the the last 20 minutes are painfully painfully bad where it's like totally antiseptic hollywood awful ending and the funniest the funniest part of the whole thing is and i don't think it's intentional they stepfordized the ending like, <laughs> so that was like if if you were doing that intentionally for the irony that's funny but if you're not it's just mm. not good it's not Mm-mm. wow and Somebody said that to me on the plane coming back. Of course, the plane I was sitting on the tarmac for four hours before I got here, and that's why we're late. Um, but she said, you know, that's a t- totally Stepford thing. You know, it's be- it has become an adjective. It is. It's yeah. so, that's so Stepford. How's right. st- my, my sister's always calling me. So how's, how is Stepford? How's, or like I'll <laughs> say like, oh, you know, we did our cookie thing with the door and the cookie. and Oh, how very Stepford yeah, of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, aren't you Stepford? That's so great. And the other thing is, from from like a feminist mm-hmm. perspective, yeah, a nightmare. <laughs> it's like a nightmare because it's like I was left thinking like, okay, so women are soulless and empty, and, and supposed that, to have hot sex in the middle of the day with her husband. Exactly, right, 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 but yeah. that but that's bad. You shouldn't want to have that. Like that that's kind of good, and th- those are good women who take care of their husband. But yes. husbands shouldn't want that. Husbands oh. shouldn't want oh, to have oh, hot okay. sex in the middle of the day no. with their faith hill. <laughs> like, but, no way. But maybe they should. I <laughs> mean, it was totally ambiguous. It was like, the, it's good It's good to want to be like a stay-at-home, take care of your mu- husband, be completely subservient and have sex on his every whim. But you shouldn't want to have that. Uh, like, that was the It whole, should just naturally happen. Yeah. Right. Fembots are bad, <laughs> but sex, kitten, plastic surgery women mm. are good. Wonder they just need to occur fantastic. naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then it would be good. <laughs> I, mm, yeah. Wow. <laughs> the feminist bad. It, Naomi Wolf's her heart would explode by that whole thing. She would be, mm. The, mm. you know, beating her. Anyway, and the scientific thing, I thought, speaking of making your head explode, if you're mm-hmm. looking at it to try to figure it out scientifically, just don't 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 do it. don't no. do it. It's it's not even actually fun to try to think about how it might possibly be possible. So you're basically saying just pretty much stay away from this movie, especially no. like if you live in Stepford. Absolutely, right? if you live in Stepford. No, if you live in Stepford, it might be like a how how to manual. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> Maybe it's but you're saying like they. But they're so like they don't even know what to say. They don't. They don't even know what advice no. to give. Apparently. Right. Exactly. 
podcast. So I guess why not just stay away and not be confused? No, rent the original 1975 version where they drug them instead of put a nano chip in their head, Ooh. I would say. Okay. Uh, I think they should do a remake where they do it with um, religion. Instead of a nano chip in their brain, they mm. do it with religion. That would be yeah, cool. that'd be cool. So was the original one more dramatic or was that more Yeah, comic? no, it's just funnier. I mean, it's funnier and campier and more what it should be, which is kind of stupid. It mm. should be kind of yeah. stupid. Yeah, So I never saw the better. original one. I didn't see the new one either, but. I wonder if, you know, I wonder if, if they sat around a boardroom and they watched like the, you know, the, the final cut and, and somebody from, they played it to a Connecticut audience and the Connecticut people said, oh, that's entirely too funny. And if you want to make it real, you're going to have to, you know. Cut this and cut that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, because that would be the impression you got if you saw Frank Oz stammering and stumbling about how funny it should have been. But Mm. the funniest Mm. thing, the funniest line from it was, Glenn Close says, I was thinking, where can I go to make a town entirely of robots where nobody will notice that they're robots? And I thought, Connecticut. I was going to say, <laughs> Greenwich. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah, lovely. But it doesn't Love matter. It. All of Connecticut, because I'm not from Connecticut, so all of Connecticut has the same, all, might as well be Greenwich if you're outside of Connecticut. Yeah, but it's where we are. Southeastern Connecticut isn't like that. It isn't, but you, people think it is. Like, yeah. Like when, I go ba- when I go back home, t- when I go to Boston and I say, like, I'm in Connecticut, people are like, oh, Connecticut. Oh, so sorry. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I, I saw James Taylor at Harkness, which is beautiful. This beautiful mansion with rolling grass right at the beach down in Waterford and uh, he, they did this summer music stuff there and, and he's you know they have the tent right and then people on the grass with their you know their uh, six packs yeah their six packs and their little you know little pate on mm-hmm. Ritz crackers and, and their champagne and <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. yeah and he, he goes how about all you how you people doing out there tonight and everybody in the tent goes crazy he says how about out there in the lawn you doing great and everybody on the lawn claps and then he goes yes <laughs> I laugh my ass off. My wife Gretchen, she goes, "Wasn't that funny?" I'm like, "Oh, you have no idea." <laughs> yes, lovey. Karen, thank you very much for that incredible review oh, of welcome. the Stepper Wise on DVD. Will you come back next week? I will come back next week. Should awesome. I leave now? No, you don't. You've no, been no, please. wonderless, fabulous. <laughs> yes, thank been you lovely. so much. Don't let the door kick you in the ass. Thank you so much. After Sunday throws up and you get to Mondays, I hope you have a great show. I know it'll be fantastic. Okay. Well, um, I have a very special guest to join us this week. Uh, my old friend from Connecticut who now lives in Florida. He's a surgeon and uh, spent some time in the Middle East, and now he's back and got his own practice you please welcome Ron Rasmussen. Hi, Ron. Hey, Carl. How are you doing? Good. How's things? Things are going very well in sunny Florida. Beautiful weather. I'm sure we have a lot less uh, snow than you guys or less cold weather than you guys have up there in Connecticut. I'm uh, The reason that uh, I called you is because I haven't, been, I haven't talked to you in a long time. Uh-huh. And uh, as you know, we're doing this show Mondays and uh, trying to find interesting people to talk to. And you were one of the people at the top of my list. Um, we, I feel honored. Thank you. Well, uh, we spent some time together when you lived up here in Connecticut and uh, traded many, many interesting stories over hot cups of tea and coffee and what else? And cards. And cards, right? And uh, I thought, you know, some of these stories are worthy of uh, public consumption, as it were. So what are you doing in Florida? I've um, started in a private practice as a surgeon in uh, Ormond Memorial Hospital, uh-huh. and uh, just uh, getting my practice started up, waiting to get myself on some of the insurance contracts, 
Uh-huh. And my practice is slowly building up as my reputation's increasing here in the uh, area. How long? How long were you a doctor in the Navy? I was in the Navy for three years. How did you get your medical school training? Did you pay for it yourself and then go into the Navy, or did they pay for it, or what was the? Um, basically, after my first year of medical school, I signed the contract, a uh, health profession scholarship program with the Navy, mm-hmm. and they paid for my last three years of medical school. And in return for that, I owed them three years of active duty as a physician. Oh, okay. So you didn't intend to be a Navy doctor when you went into med school? No, I didn't. But uh, because it was high cost of medicine, I had, and there were really no other ways to pay for my medical school except for taking out even more student loans right. than I already have, um, this was a good way for me to pay for my medical school education and I always figured that if I was going to serve my country in some form, that I would serve it as being a physician, since I'm not very good at shooting guns. Uh, you didn't have, like, a, a rich family to, to pay for med school, or, or did you have some help from your... Uh, I got zero help from my family. All right. So you're a self-made doctor, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Self-made and government-loaned. <laughs> right. And, uh, and and you found yourself uh, going off to the Middle East a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Well, actually, it was, yeah, well, about a year and a half ago, I was, uh, um, I, it was last August, and got a call that I was going to be deployed to the Middle East. Um, it was very vague about where they were going to be sending me. And you were living in Connecticut at the time. I was living in Connecticut at the time, yeah. yes. And in fact, at the time, I'd had a uh, trip planned down to Florida, because a friend of mine was getting uh, married down here, and I said, well, are you giving me orders to leave? Well, we don't have them yet. I said, here's my cell phone number. So we came down. We actually spent some time in Disney, and and um, when we were waiting outside the Tiki Room, we got I got the call that I was going to be reporting to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, for pre-deployment uh, physical and processing. And you still had no idea where you were going? They told me I was probably going to Africa. And okay. now this was at the time that the Marines were going into Liberia. Okay. Um, so my thought was that I was actually going to Liberia. Remember, wow. when, remember there was that short, there was that one month. Yeah, I do. Two, and it was, that was the exact time it happened. So I thought I was going to Liberia. That was where the, the president wouldn't step down and right. he claimed that the U.S. kidnapped him and all that. And right. And I swear, you know, it's better than watching soap operas, isn't it? Just following world events. Just follow, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, couldn't even ma- you couldn't even make up a You can't story. make this shit up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so um, eventually through my process, you know, at that time I didn't know, eventually through the processing it, and it became a little bit clearer right before I left that I was going to Djibouti. Djibouti. Djibouti is a small country. Um, that used to be French Somalia, uh-huh. um, and it is just north of Somalia, as you can imagine. It was yeah. an old French um, base, uh, foreign legion base, and they still actually have a foreign legion base there. And uh-huh. uh, we, as Americans, have set up a a base in that area. Okay. And now, and so, what was what's the relationship in with that base to the uh, war in Iraq? relationship to that base in the war in Iraq probably starts back at the USS Cole bombing. Okay. Um, at the time, um, Somalia is, if you look at a world map, is right across the water from Yemen. Yeah. 
And which is sort of a hotbed of sort of a hotbed of terrorist activity. Terrorist activity, potential terrorists. Very yeah. close to just give you an idea of the geography when you look at a map, mm-hmm. right next to Djibouti are Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, across the water is Yemen, which is on the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. Yemen mm-hmm. is the southern part of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, of which the border between Yemen and Saudi Arabia is unclear. Okay. Um, so at the time when the USS Cole was bombed, Americans had no medical assets in the Middle East. So our sailors, after being stabilized, were actually taken to the French Army Hospital Befard, which is in Djibouti. Mm. So um, the French Army uh, surgeons at that time t- and um, surgeons and physicians took care of our sailors and stabilized them until they were able to be trans- transported somewhere else. I- I'm not sure exactly where they went, but I do know they went to Djibouti first. Okay. And at that time, um, President Clinton was the president. He right. said, he was informed. He goes, well, where are our medical assets? Yeah. And I was informed that we had no medical assets in the area. Okay. So what they did, the first thing they did was set up a contingency team that was stationed in Bahrain. A contingency what? Contingency, it was called a surgical augmentation team. Okay. And uh, they were uh, a contingency of phys- a contingent of physicians who was stationed in Bahrain, mm-hmm. to be available to go wherever. I see. Um, sort of like a bunch of on-call doctors and exactly, medical on, staff. Exactly, on-call doctors. Yeah. So that when something happened, they could go to the local facilities yeah. or local hospitals. And so their job was to set up relationships with different um, local hospitals so that we would not usurp the power, you know, we uh, right. we wouldn't control what their physicians did, but we would be there to help advise and kind of be able to watch and make sure, yeah, yeah, you're following. Standards. So, so what was it like when you got there in Djibouti? Yeah, and has was this the first time you'd been in the Middle East? This was the first time I've been. I've been to Mexico, Canada, and the United States. So it was the first <laughs> okay. time I've been outside of our continent. So culture shock, maybe a little bit of culture shock. What I was your? Ar- yeah. I first arrived in Bahrain. And it was 107 degrees, and oh, wow. I said, man. But it's a dry heat, right? <laughs> but it's a dr- yeah, it's a dry heat. It's a hot heat. Yeah. And, and I said, okay, I can handle this. And then, of course, they tell you the rules in the Muslim country. You can't wear shorts. Oh, wait, so, so you had uh, a little, like, debriefing about cultural sensitivity uh, no, or something? I, well, I, when I got to the airport, I said, no, you cannot wear, you cannot wear long pants out in public. And the, the really? problem was that I, the, the people I talked to in Djibouti said, we all just wear shorts here. Now, Djibouti's a little different than Bahrain. So okay. I didn't bring any long pants with me, except for my army. My, so uh, wait a minute. So you're not supposed to wear long pants, but you didn't have any long pants anyway? Oh, no, no. I, I'm, I'm confused you. You're not supposed to wear long pants. In, oh. In, you have to wear long pants in Bahrain. Oh. But in Djibouti, which is where I was, I, I guess I confused you. I landed in Bahrain first and then went to oh. Djibouti. Okay. So in Bahrain, it was 107 degrees. All right, then, in Bahrain. When I left there to go, I flew on a a C4 plane, mm-hmm. which is just a cargo plane. You're mm-hmm. sitting in the back. And I landed in Djibouti, and I got off the airplane, and I felt like I had walked into an oven yeah. that was just blowing hot air on me. 
Wow. It was miserable. It was Now, what are the what was the hospital like? Was it in, you know, was it indoor? Was it out exposed to the you okay, know, the, like... the hospital, the actual, the French hospital is um, a little bit more modernized because within the last, the year before I got there, they had built a new building where the new operating room was. Yeah. And so the operating room itself was actually brand new. They did not have any laparoscopic equipment mm-hmm. because they hadn't gotten any of that. They, um, but if you looked at the old part of the hospital, like where the ICU was and the the, the beds were. Yeah. They were pretty dilapidated. Um, wow. They were kind of old. Um, they they kept them up as best they could. They they mean you know. I, I don't think I don't think the French were giving substandard care. In fact, the surgeon I worked with there, I he was a great surgeon and he could work on my family. He wow. was just a you know he was just a really good surgeon. I thought I think that these these doctors gave very good care to their patients. So what what. Uh... Uh, so that's how. So were you basically just go right to the hospital and get to work? I mean, what what no, was? No, I actually was stationed at the at the base, and I went to the hospital three days a week. Oh, really? Because the uh, the surgeon operated three days a week, and all I did was assist them because I couldn't write orders. It was all in French. Uh-huh. I don't know French. Right. Um, they knew a little bit of English, and I knew no French, and so we yeah. figured out somehow to communicate between us. Okay. So I just would go and help, and and my job was to be there was more of a uh, diplomatic relations to maintain. Okay, if we need to have, you know, more people coming in, we're going to be able to set, you know, more soldiers or sailors come in. They're going to be able to help them. Yeah. And in fact, before I got there, there was an incident where some of our, uh, I think it was Air Force people, had gotten hit by huh. an inadvertent bomb. You know, I don't know what details and go into, but. One person died, and uh, and eight other people were critically injured, and these people were all taken to the French hospital. Mm. And so it ended up being mainly orthopedic injuries that uh, needed to be treated. So they had an orthopedic surgeon there and a general surgeon, and we had an orthopedic surgeon and general surgeon. Yeah. And so between the four of them, I wasn't there at the time, they managed and took care of and stabilized um, our troops. Okay. And then they were sent off to Germany eventually when they were stable enough. So was this typical of the kind of cases that you were dealing with over there? Or? That was the one. No, basically all I did was help them with everyday run-of-the-mill general surgery cases. Okay. Uh, gallbladders. So they weren't necessarily war injuries? No, these were not. I, these were not war injuries that we were taking care of. This was, Djibouti is, is right now is not in the middle of the war. Right. It is. It is a center of activity for our anti-terrorist team. Okay. So the base was set up there just to support, was it there to support uh, American troops, or was it just for the, the Americans that were in the area, or were you treating locals or everybody? And I treated zero Americans. Okay. I treated locals, Djiboutians, uh-huh. and we treated uh, French nationals. Okay. And actually, I treated one person who was Iraqi. I mean, it had nothing to do with the war. He was. I'm I'm curious, and maybe you've touched on this before, and I just missed it. But I'm curious why the U.S. had had set up a, a hospital there, you know, to to treat the the locals and the French nationals. Was it all just no, political? No, this wasn't or? a U.S. hospital. This is a French hospital. Okay, yeah, that explains it. Now, th- was this a Doctors Without Borders hospital? No, this was a French Army hospital. French Army hospital. And what's the French Army doing in Djibouti? That. Uh, Djibouti is French Somalia. Okay. 
So they have a French, they have a so, so they foreign have an, legion base I get it. in Djibouti that has been there for I however long. So, so they actually a, have citizens and an interest in, in everything else. Right. Yeah, good. yeah, this is just like we have an uh, army base in Germany. That's right. We have an army base in, in Naples, Italy. So why did the, why is the Navy, I guess I'm just curious as to why the, the, this fell under the jurisdiction of the Navy to send a Navy doctor. It was actually, it was actually a, um, uh, a joint task force. Okay. It's an anti-terrorist place. So because it's in uh, sort of an anti-terrorism effort and that we're involved in the, in that, the United States in is involved in sort of, right. so we just uh, took a, a Navy doctor and brought him halfway across the world to... To help uh, the French. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and also during it's my interesting. time... It's interesting. I don't know if you remember, but yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting and, and um, you know, just being there culturally... Uh, you know, if you can make the best of it, you know, the nice thing was to actually be able to work with, you know, someone from a foreign country and right. find out, hey, these guys yeah. do things the same way we do. You know, right. there was a couple of things they did different and, you know, and and he would show me his way and I would show him my way. You know, we were learning from each That's other. That's really cool. It, it was. It was. A, it, it was. A, I thought it was, you know, overall, you know, it was a positive experience in my life. Yeah. Djibouti itself is, is a whole. Yeah. It's just filthy, impoverished. Is it better than Las Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, well, we don't know. Las so, Vegas is not that hot. <laughs> yeah. So you got so you got home and uh so I guess that sort of served your you served your time, so to speak. Well, I, I that was the, the only place I was. Yeah. But I was, I was, yeah, I served my time. You served your time, and you got out, and you went into a private practice. Right. Was there something waiting for you in Florida, and and that's, you know, a job that you uh, took, that you applied for, and that's where it was, so you moved everybody down there? or Right, yeah, I actually yeah. have a um, a contract with a, a hospital. It's a it's an employment contract through a subsidiary of the hospital, so we're a multi-specialty group where there's primary care doctors, oncologists, uh, okay. other surgeons who... Um, kind of have a a, a multi specialty group, yeah. That and uh, we're associated with the hospital. But I run my own practice. They give me a lot of free reign. Um, I just what I do is I utilize many of the resources that the hospital has, so I don't have to hire them out. So this may be a loaded question, Ron, but how would you compare the health care that the Djiboutians got versus the health care that Americans get in Florida? Uh, I would say that the Americans get far better health care in, okay. in America. And the one thing is, I would say that the Djiboutians who actually qualified to get health care in the French hospital will get close to what we get. Okay. However, if you didn't have insurance or had no ability to pay at the French hospital, which was probably many of them, yeah. they had to go to the public hospital, Okay. which was pretty much condemned condemned yeah wow. we would have condemned the building okay but that's their public hospital so what what uh what's on your mind these days in terms of the whole healthcare industry as a whole um because obviously you're qualified to comment on it right <laughs> I, i'm i'm qualified to comment i i think that i have some some concerns about what's going on in healthcare, and and I guess the the loaded question would be, what would I do if I could if I could be king of the world and fix it all? Hey, that's a good place to start. Sure. Yeah, 
I know I can't be king of the world because Andy's king of the world, but he'll he'll appoint me his his uh, his <laughs> right. ministry of health, right? Right. <laughs> As the minister of health of the world. Um, first of all, I find it very frustrating that I take care of some. And I still take a year. I take a year call, and I and I get patients who come in who work full time, and basically can't get health care coverage. Yeah. And those who do, and and I don't think that government-sponsored health care programs are very good. For example, Medicaid. Medicare is pretty much, if you were to think about it from the physicians, in terms of, of reimbursement, Medicare pretty much, yeah, you, you can pretty much cover your expenses and you can make uh, a decent living if all you took care of was Medicare. And Medicare and Medicaid, what's a diff? Medicare is what is qualified for when you retire. Okay. Um, or you are disabled. Okay. Or you have chronic renal failure. Okay. And there may be some other qualifying conditions. And that is funded by taxpayer dollars. Right. That is that is comes out of your um, seven point six five percent that you, comes out of your check that okay. is matched by your. Um, okay. So what's Medicaid? Medicaid is the insurance for poor people who cannot afford health insurance or unless as long as you're poor enough to be able to qualify for it. I, okay. I'm not the expert as what All right. qualifies you for Medicaid. Medicaid is, is more of a social program. Is it also government-run? It is government-run. Okay. There are some major problems with, that I see with Medicaid. First of all, it pays so little that most physicians don't even want to take it because it's hardly worth the paperwork hmm. of turning in the paperwork for what they pay you. This is Medicaid. This is Medicaid. And yeah. and so that is my concern about, you know, a government-sponsored program because they're pretty much the government t- is telling, is fixing wages or they're fixing funds. It would be like saying, mm-hmm. um, you, uh, you can sell bread, Carl, but you can only sell it for a quarter. Yeah, we know that doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. But then again, they, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Free Markets, man. I, I think free markets have an intelligence all their own that right. humans and governments just cannot keep up with. Right. They're just far too intelligent. However, a little thing in the back of my head goes, yes, but, you know, when free markets get out of control and yeah. prices get too high, uh, you know, and especially with health care, uh-huh. that people just can't get basic services, right. you know, without... Cutting oh yeah, off no, that's the other side. Of the, that's the other side of the equation. I know. So, so, so I'm I'm really not for price caps and and you know studying what Richard Nixon was doing in the '70s and stuff, and he just totally got screwed. Is yeah. there is there a time when it needs to be? You know, is it cyclical? Does it like the free market needs to to grow and grow and grow, and then we need to sort of adjust things and go through a period of adjustment and then let it grow again? Yeah, that, that may work. And, and but see, I think what's happening with healthcare, there's a there's a couple issues that 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 make healthcare really crazy. Yeah. If if you if you were actually to look at, uh, see, Medicare started in the 19, early 1960s. Okay. And if you were to look at physician reimbursement at that time, they've pretty much fixed physician reimbursement around that level, the 1960s. Yeah. So though the cost of healthcare is going up, the person, so when you go to the doctor, it's you're a patient and a doctor. Yeah. So the patient is being paying 
way more money than they did in 1963, mm-hmm. and the physician is not getting that money. That means yeah. somebody besides the physician is getting all this money. So it's the companies, other, in other words, the medical companies. Well, the, there, there's the health. And now, then, then there's also part of the problem with that is, okay, what else has happened between 1960 and now? Right. We have much better technology. Right. We have much better drugs. And that, that's expensive. That, that are expensive. And all right. these things are expensive. We have much better diagnostic testing. Right. We have all these things that cost more money. We have machines that keep people alive indefinitely. Right. And, and that, they... that actually, you know, it's interesting because I filled out a survey right after the election. And, and, and as physicians, what we do is we are, we are public servants in yeah. many ways. We are, we are servants what the public desires. Right. And what would interest me is having a frank discussion with our society of how do we want to spend our money on high-cost areas, end-of-life yeah. care. And this is a very difficult thing that, you know, is really hard to bring up. Yeah. But there comes a point when enough is enough. Right. And as physicians, all of us have taken care of people like, gosh, you know, we could have, we could have saved about $50,000 if we decided to stop three days earlier. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. I, I know, and you can't, and, it, and the burden always comes down on the physician, too. I mean, if it's a choice between, uh, you know, ca- fix somebody's broken arm and not charge them for it and, you know, go home and have dinner, you're going to stay and fix their broken arm, you know? I have already, since uh, since I have been here in my few months, I know I have done a lot of care that I will never get paid for. Right. And that's not right. No. It's, I mean, I mean did, what, is that, what is that doing to the uh, the smart young men and women who want to go into the medical field, you know, knowing that they have to look forward to working three times as hard as everybody else and, and, and not getting compensated getting for it? compensated for it, right. I mean, I have no problem. If I'm not working, don't pay me. Right. But if I'm working... I'd like to get reimbursed for yeah. the service that I'm providing. So is it just that the the companies, the administrative parts of of the healthcare equation, had just realized that the value of the field that they're working in is so high that they feel they can jack their prices way up high? Is that basically what's going on? I am sure that if you took you know a tongue depressor, which is just basically a big popsicle yeah. stick. Yeah. And you find out how much they charge for that compared to how much they charge the guy who makes your tootsie rolls. Right. <laughs> you know, it's going to be different. <laughs> right. And there's right. no difference between them two. They're both a small stick of wood, right? Right. So it has nothing to do with the piece that the 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 object. It's, it's that it, it's, it's gonna used. It's going to be used to cure somebody's you right. know syphilis or whatever. Right. And a lot of that comes back to the liability issue. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, like, well, if this if this piece of wood cracks and someone pokes himself in the mouth as the doctor's reaching in, they're going to, you know. But seriously, I mean, has the popsicle industry ever had this problem? You know, what? <laughs> of well, splintering, they may or may not. splintering popsicle sticks, you know, uh, sh- shooting shards of wood into the, somebody's into yeah. a kid's mouth. I don't know. I'm just using that. <laughs> no, no. You know what I mean? It seems, yeah. it seems like, you know, I, you know, by Acme tongue depressors because they'll never splinter and shove sharp shards into the patient's mouth. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. I know. And they're only, you know, $9 a piece. Oh, we better buy those because we don't want sharp shards of wood going into our patient's mouth. Right. Instead you know. of paying a, a, like a, a tenth of a penny for it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there, and the other thing is, is that in, in our industry, you know, 
in our country, our administrative, our health, if you take a, a dollar of health care costs and, you know, broke it down, this was a statistic I had earlier when I was in medical school, so maybe different now. 26% of our health care dollar was going to administration, whereas in many other countries, it's 16%. Yeah. So why are we paying so much more money for administration? And, you know, and one of the things that, that's really frustrating me now, I've, I've been licensed in the state of Florida for many months. Mm-hmm. And some insurance companies who are applying to be on contracts, I won't use names, are still deciding that I'm not quite good enough to take care of their patients. Though I, I was giving an example earlier when we were talking right. that as of Monday, I will be on a contract because it happens to be the 15th of a month. And this is a major company. I mean, this, this is, is a major a, company that everybody, everybody would know. Everybody would know. Every single state. And I, you know, I had to do an operation on one of their patients this last Friday because it was an emergency. But, you know, what's going to end up happening is that, you know, the patient's going to be billed. Well, this guy is out of network. He's not one of our guys. Yeah. But as of Monday, I'll be one of their guys because somehow this weekend, maybe it's the interview with you, Carl. Yeah, maybe. maybe. You're yeah. supposed to be giving me that, that lightning of knowledge, I think. I guess. That will make me good enough for them and their patients. <laughs> and, and that that you know that I will be covered. And the other thing with back to Medicaid, you know, Medicaid every Medicaid patient I t- when I take ER call, I am required by law to take care of any patient that comes through those doors no matter what their means of pay may be. Right. And, and am, even if that means you won't be paid. And if I won't be paid, and I incur all liabilities associated with them even if oh, I do man. not get paid. That's just so unbelievable. So I can get sued for all of my kids future if if I commit malpractice on the And that's people. what you get for saving lives. And that's what I get for saving lives. And yeah. I will not be paid for any of my Medicaid patients. <laughs> Jeez. And I can tell you, I've already been taking care of some. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, and that is what is expected of me. And so, you know, what would be nice, what, what I would like to be able to do is, okay, if you're not going to pay me, why don't you give me, how about if I take my charges and write it off on my taxes? Yeah, right. Because... Well, isn't that what I'm doing? Right. You know, it's like I, I'm I'm am saving the government money because they now don't have to pay my fee right at all, and their patient got taken care of. That seems like a pretty good compromise, you know. Well, doesn't it? I mean, it's coming out of taxpayer dollars. Right. It's coming out of my taxes. It's coming out of your hide. You really, out of you, my know? Hi, you know, it's coming personally out of my hide. But let's say it was another doctor right. who took care of this patient who could be, you know, in another town, in another place, yeah. in another hospital similar circumstances is the uh, is the medical industry getting a little more high tech because you know I'm a I came from the computer programming and the Microsoft right. camp and uh, and I still do that and you know I see I've actually worked in a medical software company and it, getting hospitals to embrace any kind of technology has been painful and you know you have people inside the hospital that are very gung-ho and stuff but it always seems like, nah, we're going to stick with our old paper kind of administrative stuff. Right. And, and I see sort of it coming, beginning to come around with the latest um, development technology that's coming from Microsoft, which is .NET technology, because it's you know, really stable and accountability and all this kind of great stuff and security. But, um, but it's still slow going. Do you think like the medical industry is purposely sort of Dragging its feet because, you know, they can, therefore, they can justify their high administrative costs? Um, I don't think that, uh, that, I I don't think that would be my impression of it. Um, I don't think the administration is necessarily dragging their feet on the cost. I think there's some other issues. I think it has more to do with, like, afraid afraid the technology will fail and... 
Right. I think. Yeah. I think. Well, you know, I actually went, did some medical informatics in medical school and did some right. of that. And so, I've been, the hospital I'm at now is further behind, but we're building a new hospital. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to put electronic medical record in the new right, hospital. Right. Yeah. There is also, you know, government regulations, HIPAA regulations, which is right. your um, Health Insurance Portability and Privacy Act. Yes. Um, that there are some uh, significant privacy issues associated with electronic medical records. Sure. Um, I think that that needs to be worked on, though I know that we've talked about that before, that w- right. we send our our, our uh, credit card information over the Internet all the time. Right. But we're not willing to, to you know, let anyone know that we have diabetes or right. heart disease when you tell your neighbor that anyway. Yeah. Um, so that that's you know that's part of the of the issue is mm. is that, and I I'm sure there's part of it is you know at least for the last ten fifteen years, you you know this better than anyone Carl that the technology was turning around so rapidly yes and improving so quickly that I mean I remember the days when you bought a computer and it was already outmoded right. one month later yeah and it seems like we're kind of at more of a stable situation yeah it's so, definitely stabilized um where. Gosh, if if you if you bought into the software now and spent a lot of money, and then you know two months later, it, it wasn't even good anymore. Right, right. Um, it, it, so I, I I'm sure that's part of it. And now that things have more stabilized, at least we're at a level like okay, if we do make another another big shift, we can you know the the current technology is adequate to handle what our needs are. And if they get you know better technology, well. That's all right. We can still do medical records on what we have now. Last time I was down there, we got together, and I showed you the tablet PC. Do you see the uh, tablet PC kind of those kinds of devices working their way into the hospital yet? Um, I have not seen them in the hospital yet, but I would hope that they will eventually get there. That seems like a no-brainer for doctors. Right. What they've what they've had is some of the little push ones for the nurses to do, but as as soon as they get those. Um, where you can kind of come in and infrared download your patient information. Right. I I, I just can't wait for that day. Yeah. Well, uh, you let me know as soon as uh, as soon as they want some software, and we'll see what we can do for you. Oh, yeah. I, I will. If they come, if they come asking me. I'll tell them. Cool. In fact, I'll tell them to let to let me know when they want software because <laughs> I've got the connection. Before I let you go, Ron, um, this might be a kind of a loaded question also, and I'm sorry if it is, uh, but uh, if you could pick out one case that you've worked on in your career as a doctor that stuck in your mind the most, you know, that you, you, you'll you never forget, what would that be? Huh. That's a, there, there's, there's been lots of interesting cases and some very powerful cases. Um, people... Well, there was one one case in uh, that I took care of when I was in Somalia. It was sort of interesting. This kid's been in the bush for a month. We helped take care of, but more probably people that that I really enjoy taking care of now. My favorite patients are probably like the breast cancer patients, mm-hmm. and the reason is is you you find these relatively young women. You know, the youngest woman I had is breast cancer was 25, wow. and they come to you, and they've got this breast lump, and they're just frightened out of, out of their mind. Right. You finally get a diagnosis of cancer, and it just shocks them and knocks them over. 
but invariably we treat it and they, and they and a majority of these women are become survivors because of a lot of the you know we talked earlier about the technology that we have and right. i think that we've made great advances and so those are some of the favorite patients that i take care of is just going through the emotions of just complete despair to to hope and then to defeating the cancer and um, you know, I, I still actually have patients who I took care of when I was up at Groton who write to me still. And uh, I think that is, you know, the thanks that they give you, just a simple letter yeah. saying, thank you, you saved my life, means more to me than the paycheck. Wow. Listen, it's been real fascinating to talk to you, Ron. And uh, keep the faith. I will. You keep the faith too, Carl. I can't wait to see you again in sunny Florida. And say hello to uh, Gretchen and, the, and I will. Emma and, and Clara and everybody else. Okay, we'll see you. All right, bye.
This is Dave, and uh, good luck with uh, Mondays. Uh, You're listening to Mondays at mondays.pop.com. That was Awake, and you can hear their uh, music and check out their schedule at awakeweb.com. They're a band from Philadelphia. And if you're going to be in the Philly area this Saturday, or Saturday, November, not this Saturday, uh, Saturday, November 27th, they're going to be playing at the Grape Street Pub. Again, the website is awakeweb.com, and we're glad to have them on Mondays. And uh, now, from a blast from the past uh, and new stuff for the present, and, you know, what the fuck am I trying to say? It what has, are you talking about? It's Ask Rory <laughs> with Rory Blythe. <laughs> It's Ask Rory, where Rory Blythe answers your questions about life and love and relationships and work and jobs and code and, and whatever the fuck is else is on your mind. Rory Blythe, what's up, man? Here's a here's the first letter. This is this is from Dan Curla. Dan, I, I don't know how to pronounce your name. You need to get an easier to pronounce name. You can have that improved. You know, you don't have to be stuck with this with this spelling your whole life. But it's Dan K. So, dear Ask Rory. Okay, Mister Know It All. I'm in a mite bit of trouble here. I was visiting Grandma at the hospital this afternoon, and I noticed one of her life support machines looks like it's running Windows 2000. First, the geek in me said, wow, that's pretty cool. Grandma has Intel inside. Then the geek in me said, hmm, let's take a look. So I unplugged it and used my trusty Swiss Army cyber tool to take the thing apart. Well, there sure were a lot of parts in there. I couldn't find a CPU or a hard drive or a cooling fan or anything, and Grandma's colors started to look a little funny. So I figured I should put the thing back together and plug it back in. Here's the part where you come in. I got most of it back together, but there were a few pulleys and springs and stuff. I can't remember where they go. I tried plugging it in anyways, but the screen is blank. It's making a high-pitched squealing sound and starting to smoke. I unplugged it again and was able to get the pulley and a few more screws in, but now there are other parts that won't fit in either. Her breathing is sounding a little funny. Please advise Dan Curla. All right. And before I even had a chance to uh, respond, I got a second email. Dear Ask Rory. Okay, more trouble. Now the other machines are starting to beep too, so I unplugged some of them. I had another go at the springs and I got most of them. By the way, do you know of any ways I can solder anything without actually having a soldering iron? Anything? Oh, and do you know anything about those funny little (laughs) panel things you see on the TV shows? I tried to get them to work, but only managed to shock myself, so I'm taking them apart now and trying to fix them too. Shit, more beeping. Gotta run. Please advise. Dan K. And so before I even had a chance to do anything with that, uh, I got a third email. 
Dear Ask Rory, and my, my name is just Rory. You can just write Dear Rory if, if you want to. Um, still having a little problem here with the machines. Where the hell are you? I think the paddles are broken ah. for good now, so I tried to flush them. Know anything about plumbing? Every time I flush, the paddles spark and the lights dim a bit. <laughs> Probably a bad pump or pipe or something, eh? Well, forget about that. Now it looks like Grandma is turning a shade of blue. Any suggestions? Also, are you making out with that soldering help? I tried Jeez. Google, but came up empty. Oh, oh, more beeping. So now pretty much everything is unplugged except the lights in my lap. I've got to run. Grandma's starting to twitch. Dan K. Um, and and I still didn't have any time to actually respond before I, I got stupid shit in my box. Dear Ask Rory, um, what do you know about barricades? There was some more beeping. Seems I missed one pesky machine on the other wall, and now people are knocking on the door outside. I need to get this fixed quick. I have Grandma's bed and the chairs all against the door, but every time they slam into the door from the outside, everything shifts on the pile. She's starting to twitch pretty something awful. She might end up shaking the chairs and stuff I piled on her right back off. Also, she's making some pretty nasty sound so if you can't get back to me soon i think we can just forget it uh dan k um <laughs> dan k yeah and then and then after that it looks dan? like uh i didn't i didn't have any any further communications whatsoever um oh that's right i also have absolutely no advice whatsoever um that's Speechless. some pretty fucked up shit dan um, jeez would you would you wow. say kirk Speechless. You, you, you can't really. Speechless. You, you can't. Do yeah, it's it's with that. it's it's some pretty crude and, and weird crap. You know, I mean, it doesn't quite fit in with the sort of theme that we've been working on here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's sort of the ass for you. You know, when you're talking to people at at work, do you do you do the thing? Do you do the mark stick or? No, it's funny. I usually only do it when I'm out at at conferences. Yeah. It's only when I'm. When I'm out with people, I'll like do like little things like when you're speaking. Um, yeah, well, you're when, I, when you're speaking. Oh, when I'm speaking, yeah, no, actually, sometimes I will. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, one of the funniest ones I did was at a conference, uh, and this was an ad lib one, but I was I, I was just in the middle of something, and I would say, <laughs> you know, I would say, you know, God, wouldn't it be, you know, I was talking about a, a dreamer or something I thought of while I was driving, you know, wouldn't that be wild if dinosaurs actually lived with us right now? You know, in this same time period. So, like, we'd be, you know, driving to work and there'd be some T-Rex, you know, chasing behind us. Or I'd be doing the session, some T-Rex would come up behind and just grab me and eat me. And that'd just be a fact of life. You'd have to deal with it. Wouldn't it be wild? And then I like, then I, then I went from that into, and you know, this is in the middle of the design pattern session, right? Okay. And then I go in for that and I'm like, you know, I'm talking about something. And so I go, you know, kind of like robots. And I'm like, anybody watch that, that BattleBots thing, you know? I want to make a giant fucking robot that comes in and eats Bill Dwyer while he's, you know, doing his play-by-play, you know? Just breaks through the plexiglass, the Lexar, the Lexar rips it, just rips up and eats the audience. That's the kind of robot I want to build. Everybody's just dying, right? It's in the middle, and they're, you know, because they expect this to some degree from me, right? Right. So they expect that in the middle of something, I'm just going to jump off on a sidetrack, tell a story of something that happened. Yeah. So. Do you, how, do you find that being funny has helped you out in your business relationships and stuff? No. No? Has <laughs> it worked to your detriment? Well, you tell you to some degree. I mean, it's like, you know... There's a, maybe not so much the you know the being funny part is you know, the, the, there's two I mean, I, know you, I mean I know you can't help it and, you know well yeah but it's not like part, you sit around and say you gotta, I'm gonna be funny but you gotta right realize we gotta realize the part of the nature of my humor is is that I'm I'm nailing what everybody's thinking but they don't want to say yeah usually yeah, yeah. right well that's and, a sign of any good comic really okay but that 
also comes out when I'm seeing bullshit. Right. And it's a great way to burn bridges. Yeah. And I have a, you know, when I was working with the Borland guys, you know, every, I was just known for having an innate ability to burn bridges like nobody has, you know? You know, it's like bridge, bridge over River Kwai, you know, they blow it up and everybody's like, okay, the bridge is gone. It's like with me, the bridge is blown up. And then like, you know, you know, a little bit of time passes and everybody's like, geez, Mark blew the bridge up. And then all of a sudden a big napalm blast in the valley just takes the whole valley out, right? This, where the bridge was. And they're like, fuck, man. Uh, the bridge was gone and we thought that was it. Then Mark comes back and the whole fucking, you know, whole thing's gone. So, so, so that aspect of it has not helped, right? Because yeah. so you, need more of a, you need more of a filter. Yeah, yeah it's no, hard, it's, hard to filter. Yeah, that, you know, I don't have any tack. That's the thing is that tack part is gone. It's because here's the thing is that it takes, you know, I'm about efficiency of brain power, right? And it takes too much fucking brain power to stop what I want to say. In fact, if you ever see me grabbing a table, that means I want to say something and I know it's going to piss off people just so badly. Grabbing the table. Like, yeah, like just grabbing onto it. Okay. I was, here's an example. I was in um, Germany at a, at a dinner. And before I left, you know, my wife, Cindy, she's like, you know, Martin, you know, uh, you're going to Germany. No Nazi jokes, right? <laughs> and I'm like, what? Come on, what are you talking about? She goes, no Nazi jokes, you know? You're in Germany. Don't tell any jokes about Nazis. And I'm like, come on, this is me, you know? Right. So I'm at this dinner, and it's a place where they bring out uh, blocks of stone and that are hot, right? Oh, no. And you cook your own you food on it, right? Joke. Well, I, they're like talking about it, and they're talking about this hot, and they're like, well, you know, where do you cook these? You know, and the guy goes, in the furnace. And I'm like, oh, no. fucking grabbing the table, and, you know, Ray Kanaka's sitting next to me. He's also, he's been instructed to, to make sure I don't tell any Nazi jokes. He's got his hand on my shoulder, and I'm like, fucking just, you know, I've got like 40 different things coming in my head that I want to say. Oh, you got a furnace, eh? Ah, oh, you recycled it, you know, and I'm just like, you know, yeah. So uh, that's that's an example of where it's really hard to. Uh, did you actually did you actually break? Did you? I didn't say anything. You didn't no. say anything. But that's an that's an example of where every once in a while I will just keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Because it's an extreme. Usually it's do not in that case. It's, do you that, think it's that detrimental would... to your health to, to keep it in? Yes. Really? Yeah. It's, do you it, think it's bad for you? It just takes too much fucking energy, and I'm <laughs> and I and I want to kill people. You know, it's like it's it is not okay to do. So that's why. See, that's the thing is that's why I'm always telling the truth. And if, if I think something, it, it's just a direct route to my mouth. It just right. comes right out. And people respect you because they know you tell it like it is. You don't sugarcoat. Most people do. Do you I think, think so. that's the source of stress? Like people's stress is generally bottling things up and being PC. Yeah, and I think so to some degree. But I think. Do you really? See, but I, but I, I think I most people. Do. But I think most people learn to deal with that in a way where they're. Um, we're not uh, pissing people off. <laughs> where they, they're, it doesn't stress them out too much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like Michelle today, she was trying to get, get to deal with her stuff. Get she's her, her website, website had been hacked. Down. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, she was trying to deal with that, and it, she wasn't making very much progress. Right. And she wasn't saying anything about it. Yeah. And she, I was supposed to show her some stuff with Code Rush, and she was like, you know, um, uh, she she was trying to be polite, and I was right. saying, just fucking tell me what you know. If right. you don't, if if you don't want to do this, just say it. Because yeah. my sense is, is that you've got this other stuff on your mind, yeah. and you've got to resolve that. But see now, I think most see people, now, most people would have sensed it and just backed off and let her not put the burden on her to say, "Hey, I'm busy right now. Uh, yeah. Go fuck you." I suppose I could do that. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, you know, I. <laughs> but I, I what I'm people, saying, I mean, I my point is, always be totally straight with. Yeah, me, right? I know, but but that's because how you are. But can you really expect that from other people? Well, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I could probably... I struggle with that myself. I mean, I struggle with that myself, definitely. I, I just want... You know, the thing is, is that my wife, Cindy, she's always telling me what she thinks, and then usually she's apologizing, like, seconds afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sorry, you know, I'm stressed or whatever. She'll say that right afterwards. Right. And I'm just like, it's all right, because it's... it's it, if somebody is pissed off, it, it's... 
I, I totally understand that, and yeah. I and I respect that. It's okay for yeah. them to be bitchy yeah, at yeah. that moment where they're pissed off. Right. So you know, it, it's just it's just a lot better way of dealing with. I, people. I agree. Um, you know? My wife and I are the same way. I mean, uh, I my wife and I say things to each other that you know we know we don't mean, and moments pass and we're fine. And if it was with anybody else, previous relationships, I can tell you that would have been a major issue for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And right. where I understand that, you know, hey, you know, the stress, the this, the that, the kids, everything else. Yeah, it's, you it's know, what if you, need even, to, if you need to blow off some steam, yeah. just go right ahead. The thing is, know? is even if you don't agree with what the, the, the shit that's flowing down your, 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 your mouth, <laughs> right, you still have to you still have to say right. you still have to realize that for them, it's true. What they're right, saying right, is right. absolutely real for them. Right. And, yeah. and that's the thing is you have to acknowledge that and you say, OK, I understand. You yeah. know, I understand what you're saying. And, and, and you know, you just go from there. You, do you like Ted Turner? Um, you know, he was—he was my hero for a while. Because he remind—you remind me of him in a, in a weird way. I, you know, he says things. He's very well, loose with his mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, Ted Turner was one of my heroes, and also Alexander Haig. And Alexander Haig was my hero because on the day that President Reagan got shot, and something, and and the Vice President—I think it was George Bush, you yeah. know, Senior—was out of the country. Yeah. He was asked a question at a press conference. Well, who's in charge of our country? Right. Right. And Alexander Haig said, "I'm in charge." <laughs> And I was like, fuck yeah, man. That's the way to do it, man. And everybody gave him shit. And he was my fucking hero from that point forward, man. Because he's like, I'm in charge of the fucking country. Now, this may only last a few minutes, but I'm going to make a few changes. First of all, the letter C is out of the fucking alphabet. We got S and K. We don't need C. You know, I'd just be like, you know, just start taking care of things left and right. You know, Jehovah's Witness says, you can't fucking go out of your church anymore. You can't go knocking on people's doors. That's a law. I'm signing that today. I'd just be taking care of it left and right, man. Those Harry Krishna guys not in the airport anymore, man. A free punch for everybody on a Harry Krishna guy if they're wearing the pink outfits, man. Free punch and you're not in jail. Get out a free jail card. I'd be doing this stuff left and right, man. We'd make some serious progress. You should get shot more often. Yeah, it's hey, take your time, Ronnie. <laughs> Just recuperate. No problem. New, new rule. President gets shot, he's no longer the president, man. That's my new rule. <laughs> Signing that baby into law. Sign it. So Alexander Haig. And well, yeah, you I know, one thing Ted Turner said on a, in an interview, and I can't remember who he was talking to, but somebody, the interviewer said, now you're against landmines, right? Which is a stupid sure. question. Ted, Ted goes, yeah, you know, I'm against anything that's dumb. <laughs> I thought that was great. I'm like, you go, Ted, man. That's, that's really awesome. Funny. That's like, awesome. What a stupid fucking question. It was a dumb like, question. Yeah, I'm against anything dumb like your fucking question.
This is Brian Kuhn, uh, Love.net Rocks, and good luck on Mondays. We know it's wrong. We know it leads to bizarre results, but it's fun, and we should plunge massive tools up the ass of the Democratic Party. <laughs> That's fantastic. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Mondays, everybody. This is Carl Franklin, Kirk Webb, Rory Blythe. Thank you. Jeff. Jeff. Say goodnight, Jeff. Night, everybody. Goodnight, Jeff. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Mondays is produced by Quap Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. And if you'd like to sponsor Mondays, send us an email at pwop at franklins.net. That's pwop at franklins.net. Yeah.